0: Some people call it retirement, but I called it a commencement. It's it's a new beginning, and part of that is being current, relevant, useful, helpful, and purposeful. Passion is is really giving them those opportunities because I I look back, and there are so many people that opened doors for me. I think that we owe that to the next generation.
1: So welcome to Structurally Sound. This is the podcast that brings you the latest and greatest in emerging technology and conversation about critical infrastructure from the Institute for Homeland Security at Sam Houston State University. I'm Dr. Marcus Funk. I'm the man on the street. I'm the podcast nerd who's helping out my colleagues, uh, Grant Threet and Michael Asplund. And we're going to get into it today. And I think that's cool. You know,
2: the best part is we were getting ready to start and I said, you bring us in so, I don't think he's going to play the f- first uh, attempt at doing that, but it crashed and burned like crazy
1: there. I, 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 yes.
2: It can go into the, um, our blooper reel. I'm not great at improv.
1: I'll, I'll That's say that. That's clear. That became
2: very clear <laughs> this time. So, I'm even worse as I demonstrated <laughs> last month. <laughs> but I think you redeemed. We'll give you an opportunity in the future to be prepared because the comment, the terror comment from him was, from Marcus was, I don't have any notes, and, that's, uh, and I will point out that when there's an episode, in the next episode, we're going to be uh, meeting uh, Nick Reese. It's kind of previewing it now, and and I had Grant bring us in, and he read it verbatim from his paper, so it's all fine. We're good, uh, but my name is Michael Aspin. I'm the executive director here at the Institute for Homeland Security. Marcus, thank you for bringing us in so professionally, of course. And, and you did well. Well,
1: because I'm an uh, objective journalist, I will include the whole thing. I won't edit it.
2: Okay. Well, I'll give you permission to cut that first part out. That's okay. It's sometimes imagination. Now people are going to be thinking, how did he blow that? And and that's probably a better effect uh, potentially. Hey, Grant, over to you. Welcome.
3: Yes. uh, Thank you, Michael. It's uh, great to be here and um, excited to spend some time getting to know our uh, guest and colleague, uh, Robert Crane. Rob, um, tell us a little bit about... How Boy, you... he jumped right in there, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's diving right in. Yeah. So. Right. Okay, so <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah. Thanks. This is hey. <laughs> hey,
2: I just want to welcome yeah, Rob Crane yeah. to the to the studio. Rob, thank you for being here. Rob joined us last. I guess we're on year and a half now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to tell a little story on Rob right out of the shoot, so we can frame this thing up. <laughs> he came to me uh, when 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 I hired him to bring him on board. We had two years of funding and. And uh, Rob had had kind of indicated at one point, he says, OK, Mike, so, you know, the two years is coming up and I'm making decisions. And so I hit him up in March of last year where I said, OK, so you said you're leaving. I just want to make sure that's the case so I could start planning. And he wasn't prepared for that quest, very direct <laughs> question. And he thought about it. So I okay, and came back to me, and said, no, man, I'm in. I'm in. So that has. Uh, so here we are. We're yeah. in uh, towards the end now of 2023, and Rob is committed to being here, and I'm very Thank excited you. about that. Uh, I'm I'm definitely disruptive, but helpful. That was one of my more disruptive moments, I would say. But Rob, yeah. we did a little pre-talking before we jumped in, yeah. and we're going to talk about prof- your professional journey. We're going to talk about your focus on position, navigation, and time, and that work. But I think it's more important to hear about your story yeah. and your origin story, as it were. So let's start yeah. with. Tell us who you are and your growing up journey, because there's some things we want to talk about. So let's start with that.
0: Well, thank you, Mike. Um, and I, I will say, he did rescue me from retirement, and and uh, so uh, it's great to be back into um, uh, the work uh, and and focusing on critical infrastructure. But you know, Mike, I uh, uh, my father was uh, manager uh, of uh, operations and safety for a major oil company, and my origin. Uh, In Homeland Security and Coast Guard began in 1969. I was actually, you know, if you remember 1969, we were
1: still in the. I was five. I was negative five. It was more than negative five. Oh my gosh! (laughs) Well, we were
0: still in the middle of Vietnam War. Nixon had just uh, got inaugurated that year, and you may remember that the first supercomputers were able to get Apollo 11 safely onto the moon. So, you know, 1969 had a lot of historic um, things. Intel came out with their first chip. You had actually early uh, part of uh, quantum computing. So, a lot of the things were starting to develop in '69. But one defining moment a lot of us uh, have in our lives was the the company that my father was with had a terrible barge explosion and killed about six men. Three of them were really personal friends of my father's, and then uh, quite a few uh, injuries. But that was uh, one of the first disruptions to critical infrastructure that I can remember because this happened in LaGrange, Missouri. What was uh, strange about the situation is the barge had hit a bridge and had a crack. And so they were offloading uh, the fuel, but right next to it was a towboat. And the towboat was preparing a meal that night, the, the cook, and had an open flame when a spill occurred and exploded. And this barge um, killed uh, three, three of dad's coworkers. Uh, the barge broke away and went down the river and lodged against a railroad bridge. So disrupting critical infrastructure. Uh, a major line, east-west line. So this happened on May 12th, 1969. Uh, School was out later that month. So I was hanging out with my father Uh, during the investigation. I met these Coast Guard fellows and they were just, you know, really professional. They were doing their investigation and that was my first time. And I was just like, you know, asking them questions about the Coast Guard and what they did and that planted the seed for my career there was something about that incident that left uh, a mark because i think that was the first time i saw my father really, very distraught in his professional because he had lost three of his his colleagues
2: i think that's really significant because when i reflect on my growing up and what influenced me my dad was president of atlantic richfield at one point and and I and you know it's funny and I'm going to take us I'm going to rabbit trail right out of the shoot here because we focus a lot on workforce development. That's kind of the term of what's coming up. Something that that I noticed and we noticed in my law enforcement career was there was a disconnect in the night and after about 2010, where we saw that police officers were struggling to connect with people. And there's been a huge discussion about that disconnect. And I think some of that is driven by the cell phone. And this is what I'm getting at. You were a, a, a kid. Your dad was meeting with investigators for Coast Guard and they were coming to your house. You, were, At least you were in a position to be there. Similarly, for me in the 19. 19- Seventies I mean I turned five and uh I was five and sixty nine you were a little bit older, so you had a little bit more awareness, but as the seventies rolled through, my dad was running uh an oil uh company corporation and taking phone calls at the house, so it wasn't that he could go outside or and so I heard all that you heard all that
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that that's significant, and I think I mean my kind of aha moment right out of the shoot here is we've lost that our kids don't hear our conversations about how we're working. So they're not hearing that. They're not listening to the relationships. We have isolated our work life in some ways from our children participating with us in how we do our jobs. So there's a, that's pretty interesting. I would be fascinated from a sociologist standpoint, how people got into their careers now versus were they influenced by their parents or the relationships that their parents had? So, thank, you know, thanks for kind of kicking oh, us off with my, that. I,
0: I remember as a child, my father would, you know, allow me to come down to the tank. And uh, I I learned a lot of of um, language from truck drivers and, and you know, barge <laughs> operators and so forth. But he always he, he allowed me to hang out at the, the oil terminals. And, you know, we knew so many of the employees by name. You know, one, one individual, you know, I got to know the family 15 years later and I went back for the commemorative of this and it was it was very emotional for for me to represent my father who had already passed away and to go back to that community 50 years later and sit with his children his his son and daughter and grandchildren and the whole community it's only a, a community of about 200 but how many folks still remember that event of that day and they shared their perspectives that evening. So it's kind of um, one of those things, I call them defining moments. Sometimes in our careers, we call them turning points where something, you know, you redefine yourself in a career. I would say that coming to IHS has been a defining moment and a a turning point in my um, you know career as I I wrap up things. But yeah, I I always uh, characterize this as, as, you know, out of tragedy comes purpose. And so that's, um, the, you know, how I ar- always articulate this event, that that it it focuses you on your mission, you know, for the rest of your life. And it brings you, you know, centers you.
2: I think we, uh, Out of Tragedy Comes Purpose is going to be the title for this podcast.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and so when people read that, they'll, they'll want to listen. You know, it's funny when you say you were taken down to the terminals. My dad would take us down to the oil tankers. And so when he would meet with the captain – my two brothers and I would be running like banshees across the deck into the engine room. And, you know, at the time, you think, what a play toy. And then when you reflect back, oh, of course they put up with us. We were the boss's kids. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Why did I do that? Right? Um, so that's a that's cool. Uh, but you were born and raised Houstonian.
0: Well, actually born in St. Louis. Okay. Yeah, St. Louis. And we moved to Houston in 1972. Uh, I was in junior high at the time. And uh, my second Coast Guard experience was my second sister was dating a gentleman that was going through law school. He was a Coast Guard. And one day I saw him in his uniform. and I said, you know, so I got to know Jim. And I actually, what well, was so cool was uh, last summer— We reconnected for the first time in many years. Uh, They're not, you know, my sister and and Jim were not together, but he's now assistant district attorney down in in Houston. And so uh, we sat down and and had a nice little little chat. He actually put a recommendation for me when I uh, joined the Coast Guard.
2: So let's go, you know, you were here in Houston Mm -hmm. as a junior high kid and you and your father – would go to dinner or lunch at a particular barbecue, and oh <laughs> where was that?
0: Yeah, yeah, we, we we relived that moment. I had not been there in, I would say, forty years, and so the the other night. Mike and uh, Alberto from our our staff were down in Houston. I said, "Hey, let's let's go to Good Company Barbecue." And so it's it's a Houston tradition. Uh, putting a plug in there for them, but um, uh, my father's office and the you know uh, the company headquarters was right there. And so um, I uh, we used to have lunch in between. I would work night beat for UPS, and then go to college and I would always stop and have lunch with him on the way to college. So, yeah, so it was kind of cool. That was one of our our main places where we we knew that at 1130 or whatever, we would meet there if I was available or he was available. If, if one of us didn't show up, the other one, you know, still ate on their own. But, uh, you know, it was a busy time, but good time. It was a good so time. So we went memory. back
2: there last uh, Tuesday, I think yeah, it was, for yeah. dinner and we walked in and it was if you were back 50
0: years ago, exactly. right? Exactly. It still looks exactly wow. the same. No no change. And that's that's one thing I got to say about Houston. There's been a lot of change in Houston. That is one thing that hasn't changed. Yeah, but, it, was, uh, it was pretty yeah. fun.
2: And I was... And people like to, you know, he told us what was going on. So I was announcing to the staff, hey, just so you guys know, he has, I was actually hoping they give us a free dessert, which they <laughs> didn't, because that's kind of nonsense. Oh, okay, whatever.
0: But yeah, yeah.
2: So listen, you know, yeah. we're going to get, well, well, let's continue this discussion. Yeah. But you had some jobs, one in particular I want to talk about. Uh, when Since we are structurally sound and we are the Institute for Homeland Security focused on critical infrastructure protection, one of our sectors is transportation. Yeah. And you actually worked in the transportation sector. Tell us about that.
0: V- very very briefly. But uh, you know, I joined the Coast Guard at 17. And while I was going to college, I, I loaded package cars um, for uh, UPS. So that was my first stint into transportation. So I understood how all those things were going. And then I, I – I shifted my last two years of college in, in the brokerage business. But as soon as I graduated, I went to work for this container company. I I thought, you know, I really wanted to stay in the transportation. Like
2: like uh, like uh, Tupperware containers or what?
0: Oh, my gosh. They're almost like that uh, where they have to be completely <laughs> sealed. Um, and so, no, these are shipping containers. These are those big 20, 40-foot shipping containers.
3: And they've got to be completely sealed, right? they
0: got to be completely sealed. How can so, we make sure that so, uh, so, that so happens? It was only about a six-month stint. Um, because oh, I let's had find out why. Let's explore that, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> well, they hired me as this assistant manager, and so I was learning all the trade of the the thing. And the key part about this is those containers have to be completely sealed because before they leave the the container yard. So part of my role was to uh, check for light leaks. And so- Light leaks, not like light leaks, but like light,
3: light, sunlight. Sunlight,
0: yes. And so as a container was being pulled off the stack- what year was this? This is, good gosh, um, 93. Oh, excuse me, 83. 83. 83. 83, yeah. So I was right out of college. I graduated in December of 82, took this job. uh, Originally, it was in Houston, the largest container facility. So if you've ever been to a port and you see them stacked up like eight high or whatever, this this was a facility just of empty containers. So this is where they stored them, repaired them, prepared them to go out to industry to load up uh, cargo to ship overseas. So part of our thing, you'd have someone with a forklift come up. And pull it off. And before it was dropped into you know, onto a trailer to leave the lot, you had to check for uh, light leaks. So that required someone, me, to go inside while... Wait, hold on.
2: Creaky door closing sound effect here, please. Wait yes. for it. Okay, go ahead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Two people that you virtually don't know at all, are going to close the door, the squeaky handles and completely lock you inside. And you would walk the perimeter to see if there were any light leaks. The biggest fear was was there was gonna be a day I was gonna be in there and be driven off, and no, because there's no air in those things uh, at,
2: at all. Completely so, sealed.
0: Completely yeah. sealed. Yes. But wait, this is causing me anxiety right now.
2: You didn't oh, tell us well, this in the, <laughs> the <laughs> predecessor. All right, go ahead, Marcus. If, you're if, up.
1: if they're completely sealed, how are you walking the perimeter?
0: Yeah, you, you're, you're walking inside
1: the right. box. But if, if there's so, no light coming in,
0: right. how you, are just, you? you would just walk down the middle. And just, what just you, to check to see if there were any light leaks around the, where the, the corrugated steel was connected with the support.
1: Right, but if it's dark, how do you know where you're going is where I'm getting at. Um, Do you have a flashlight? Well, you, well that you, would you, defeat you, the point you, of looking for <laughs> undoubtedly. <lead>. So you're <laughs> fumbling around in the dark is where i with the <laughs> You,
0: you, you kind of got this habit after a while. Like you hopped in and you were right in the middle and you just knew to walk this direction. And then, y- you know, you would bang on the side and then they would open the, the door for you.
1: Now, did you walk so, into the walls at any point?
0: No, not that I can remember. Not
3: that <laughs> Is
1: that because remember. you walked into it real <laughs> no, hard? no. no. <laughs> so
3: the assistant manager... Yeah, is yeah. the guy they lock in the container to right. walk
0: around in the dark? Right. And just- I brought donuts every morning to the forklift
3: operators. You should have spent you more know- money on the donuts. <laughs> 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 was Was this advertised when you took the job, or other duties yes. as a yeah, sign? No,
0: no. Well, the, the key thing was quality control. It was so they put the responsibility on the manager and the assistant manager to do quality control. Gotcha. So, so yeah. that was just the thing. It, because the worst thing you wanted to do is load up a container get to someplace on site, and then they had high-valued assets that we're going to put in there, and it had a light leak.
2: Now, you, when we had the little pre-meeting, right before we started recording, you made a statement, which was some people. Well, some people. <sighs> what...
0: Just say <saying>. it. <laughs> just say <saying>. it. <laughs> no, there's some... certain people that just maybe. be uh, are empl- hard to get employed.
1: Wait, just no, not no we're that. not Don't Ask us. that question over again. No. there's no, so p- much hedging. <laughs> I know. Okay, <laughs> hey, so,
2: hey, so so we're gonna keep this in because it's awesome. But what what was it you told me before we got started? Well, just make the statement. Some people.
0: Well, well some people are just you just are not employable or trainable and you get them, you know, you, you would hire them to be welders, truckers, forklift operators. There are a whole cadre of really good ones, but you would get this one or two where they're late to work uh, every day. And it's like, Hey, you have 20 containers, you know, trucks lined up to get to containers. And well, all of a sudden I was doing the forklift operating and also, you know, doing the light inspection myself, you know, and I would have a truck driver, a totally random truck driver, you know, close me. One of these days I was just like, I was worried that someone would just like lock me in, put me in the forklift and mo- put me in the back, the furthest container in the back of the stack and just leave me there. I was like, Brought didn't show up to work today. So, okay. So
2: this is important because you've now added some context to what we didn't have before we started. So what I'm hearing is. There are some people just shouldn't have a job in this particular industry. And the problem is, it wasn't that you were worried about your own staff leaving you in. It was because you had people you couldn't rely on on your own staff. So you had to rely on these truck drivers that you'd never met in your life to let you out.
0: Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, 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 and it becomes the
3: unsafe.
0: And, right, right. And being young and impressionable, you know, and, and an early manager, you know, you, you really – It's about working with others. And, you know, you were working with different people every day in a very Stressful situation, and so it was quite a challenge. Because they eventually moved me to Dallas, and we we were in the Trinity River bottoms, and so it would constantly be really muddy and 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 so forth. And it was just it was a tough job. And that's when I decided I'd get back in the stockbrokers business again. So I went back into to I I I, I the office environment. But I, I, out of all due respect, I I will say this: there were a large number of truckers that. You know, I really enjoyed working with because they, you know, they were well trained. They are they're very important to port operations, and and so there were quite a few that you know you would see from time to time, and you know you would say, hey, how you doing? And and having a good you know conversation. I think the challenge f- mostly from a hiring and and trying to retain is you do have to really train your people and you have to, safety, you had to focus around safety. And so, you know, early morning safety briefs are a, a, a critically important. If people showed up on time, if they showed up, otherwise you'd have to do them separately. So there was a whole lot of responsibility that was required to make sure that every day, you know, the worst thing you wanted to do is have a piece of equipment fail like a like that. You know, during- Just drive my phone. Yeah
3: just wanted to segue a little bit into your uh your future careers in um you know and related to transportation um sector one of the key technologies yeah. that uh is important for transportation is this uh PNT position App. navigation and timing and so tell us a little bit about how you got into that and
0: well i wrapped up a a coast guard reserve uh career and uh, toward the end, I had been in the private sector and kept up my reserve capacity. And then I came on for Y2K uh, back in 1998. And everybody's like, okay, you know, it's a computer problem. But we, what we did was we focused on how do we continue to do the mission without a piece of technology? Let's say the piece of technology fails, someone sure. still calls to be rescued. You still got to get the boat underway, you got to get the crew. Uh, prepared. You still have to have the comms working. You have to have the location information. So that was my first introduction into the how important GPS was, and global positioning system was a military capability that eventually became you know uh, used by the civil sector. Um, it does have separate signals, obviously, but one of the things that I learned through that period was how important um, GPS has become embedded into all sorts of applications. And so, uh, in 1997, there was a report on critical infrastructure. It elevated the concerns around GPS. And so, a few years later, after a couple other additional assignments, I decided to retire from the Coast Guard Reserve. And I was doing some work for the Coast Guard on information sharing uh, as a contractor and, and the department, and an opportunity came came around to to join the the national effort. President um, George W. Bush signed the 2004 Space Based Position Navigation and Timing Policy, and that policy created a national coordination office. DHS um, assigned me to to the office to represent the interests of of critical infrastructure and uh, other interests. You know, supporting law enforcement and investigation and reporting and And so forth. So I went to the national office um, for uh, nearly 15 years. And so from there, you know, interoperability, how important, you know, that became uh, as a topic after 9 11 on the comm side, but it also, we used it for interoperability with other global satellite systems. And so we were part of some of the negotiations with. Uh, other countries' systems right now. Yeah, the, the, the four gl- um, uh, global uh, navigation satellite systems are Russia's um, GLONASS, uh, then China's uh, Beidou, and then you got European Galileo, and then the US GPS. So many of our devices have mm-hmm. these you know, signals coming in, and it helps to give more precise location information uh, around the globe. So, we were in the early part of that, but more importantly, we were concerned about our over-reliance on GPS. Mm. And so, that's where I spent most of my time over the last 10 years is, is you know, how it became um, uh, used throughout the critical infrastructure and could be a single point failure.
3: So, it's really to the uh, resiliency piece and, and vulnerability, um, if I'm understanding that right, this over reliance on GPS.
1: Over reliance on the American network GPS or over reliance on global positioning as a concept?
0: As, as a surface, as okay. a service. So, let's say um, you got, you know, right now 32 operational satellites are all beaming information, you know, timing um, and positioning. Uh, information down to your receiver the concern was is how that information you know is being used and so if you're getting false information that's spoofing but if someone were to create you know a quiet zone around it that would be jamming and so we were concerned that this may be your only source of valuable information and data if you were ch- you know, solely relying on GPS for that. So in some of the timing uh, application, let's say your network timing, but you have a GP only a GPS receiver and you don't have other mitigation options, you know, attached to it, then GPS would be a, considered a single point failure. So if you had a disruption to the GPS signal, the satellites are, are you know, pretty solid. And, you know, the run by the, you know, but, but if you create a, an interference uh, around that, then you would lose your timing and you might lose your navigation.
3: Yeah. And that uh, certainly could be a risk to a lot of industries. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking we, we all use our uh, smartphones every day and uh, the different mapping applications to navigate around. Um, No one has the old fold up maps in their glove box anymore. I just want to point
2: out that when I was on my RV adventure across the country, I had a, a hard map because this might fail. And and with every state, so just for the record, maybe for our daily lives, but I'm guessing that every truck driver, well, I would think every truck driver would have a hard map with them.
3: Yeah. Paper key Paper maps. Map. Paper maps key maps that's that's the old way but uh but yeah it's still still relevant in a in way. I just
2: want to say that you know in my time, there was a the way to go.
3: I tell my kids that we would stop at the welcome center when you entered a state and get out and look at the map, and you had to remember where you wanted to go thanks Peppy <laughs> <laughs> just. Is it me,
2: or am I always derailing these things?
0: Disrupt. <laughs> I, I think that's purposeful interference.
2: Call
3: oh my my- Thank you. Wow, all these great terms are coming out. Can we get a quiet zone? <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob, you've, you've mentioned a, a couple of terms and um, I, for, for myself and maybe some of our listeners that may not be as uh, fluently versed in it. We've talked about position navigation and timing and global p- positioning satellites. Wh- wh- what do we mean when we say PNT versus GPS? Same thing, interchangeable, nuanced difference?
0: So, so think of it this way, the, this GPS is the capability that provides the signals that provide – the service PNT so position is absolute so that's your your location navigation is going from A to B and then timing is that precise timing so basically every time you look at your clocks you know they're all synced to our national clocks that we maintain at, at Boulder and and uh, at the United States Naval Observatory and so GPS provides that timing capability without having to hardwire into the wall. But most of your systems use NTP to get their time references. So GPS is just a network that provides that, and it can provide that globally because it's, you know, you have satellites circling the globe. But that service is extremely important because you have other options to, you know, to get that. But there's no national capability that's a backup to GPS. So, like the PNT services, are are being provided by various different other options. You can have your own clocks if you want, you know, if you want that precision. But what's important here is that um, uh, the PT resilience. It's it's how to build it into your equipment, how to build it into your networks, um, and if GPS, if you assess that GPS is your single you know source, then you should have alternative. Uh, very similar to electricity. If 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 you got to ha- have twenty four by seven power capability, and you know the electric grid is your primary you know source, but you know you're running a hospital, and you need twenty four by seven. Then you want to put a backup generator that has sufficient fuels and so forth, so that's that 's what we 're talking about and and for most of us it it 's all ubiquitous i mean we basically have no idea you, i mean you can get an app that'll show you which satellites you 're picking up, but how you know how you 're getting your network timing and how you 're getting your uh, position information is critical to um Getting from point A to point B and, and, and identifying, especially in, in first uh, responder applications, you want to know exactly where, you, you know, to send first responders. So that point of reference on your phone, you press 911, you want that, you know, you want precise positioning so they can find you in your time
1: of need. So PNT, let me see if I'm understanding this right. Uh, it's, it's basically a backup. So let's say the GPS cuts out and your your phone or your your hospital system has that PNT you're talking about a backup system that will accurately keep track like count like time seconds and location and that sort of thing in the absence of that GPS data sort that's of to, correct to compensate and keep pace at a consistent Level until the GPS comes back on.
0: That's correct. If okay. if you if you have a system that's set up that way, but depending on the architecture of your networks, so like um, cell towers and you know things that are rural rural applications, like a, tr- a truck driver, they're picking up mostly all GPS. If they were to lose GPS, then th- they could probably pick, still get to where they're going. But if you have a disruption to GPS, or someone tries to spoof the signal, well, mm-hmm. then you could actually end up at the wrong place. So we're seeing gr- more instances of interference in, in like uh, Russia and um, in, uh, along the Mediterranean, and so those are disruptive. You know, so if you're, so th- you need to assess where GPS is being used within your your systems yeah oh, and I, How it, your dependencies
1: my favorite james bond movie is tomorrow never dies and yeah. the opening of that they do that they drive a boat deliberately off course into hostile waters by tinkering with the GPS and right. confusing their backup system. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. There's, uh, there's been several studies. Um, what, uh, uh, a researcher at the University of Texas did that in the Mediterranean. Uh, there's a couple other reports that have shown that you know, other,
3: the intent and capabilities exist to, to do that. So- yeah I was gonna ask you to elaborate on what the vulnerabilities were I mean I, it's so spoofing I, I guess right, is spoofing. is one vulnerability um you know and, and we've already talked about um, you know redundancy or uh, lack of redundancy in terms of uh, resiliency vulnerability um what if anything it, you know are some other vulnerabilities out there that critical infrastructure industries might
0: well, b- bottom line, the first thing is, is if you have a GPS receiver in your, you know, whether it's in, uh, you know, in your network or on, um, on your mobile, you know, transport, whatever, and that's your only source of PNT services, you know, consider some some form of a backup. You know, bottom line, there's – right now, you know, every – User community across critical infrastructure has different requirements, and so they need to find the one that would best suit suit them. Because GPS is such a great great uh, capability. So jamming that's completely cutting off the signals, but that affects other you know anything wireless could be targeted as far as being you know um, interfered with. So that's what we refer to as purposeful interference. The other the spoofing piece would be is if someone were to try to take and and change that signal. So the lat long that's you know maybe, or um, you know if you're getting a live signal, then they can you know insert a different coordinate into that. So you you have no idea you know whether you're going off course. The other vulnerabilities is you know we know that the intent and capabilities to disrupt networks period so think of think of a timing situation where you know for a financial transaction somebody wants to you know change the timestamp on a financial transaction well if your your time on that is different than someone else's then you know you might be able to get your trade in so the criticality of timing timing criticality is is essential to the financial markets and for other Areas where time stamping is extremely important. It's going to be critical in blockchain because you've got transactions. You may have, you know, we talked earlier uh, about blockchain. You may have two hundred different transactions that all have to be time stamped and and feed into that. So those those are the kinds of vulnerabilities. That, you know, right now the SEC does require daily, you know, syncing of clocks. Uh, you know, um, and so the so that's pretty much how they they. Um, those are the kinds of vulnerabilities that you have to look at your operation and say, okay, if I lost GPS, what is this? What impact does this have on my information and operational technology?
2: So it's interesting because uh, maybe two months ago I saw um, a news story out of the UK with an app called What Three Words. What Three Words, and basically, it uh, this group a number of years ago mapped out the entire globe. And has assigned three words to every square across the globe. So you can right now go on what three words and look at what. And and so that was used in a 911 call where this apparently a farmer had a massive bale of hay. And if you've seen some, there's some big bales of hay out there. It was trapped. And a neighbor heard the guy yelling and went running over to try and do a rescue. There was no way. And he was on. The equivalent nine one one line, uh, and they couldn't figure out where he was GPS wise. And then the uh, person, the the person who was calling for help, says to the dispatcher, "Hey, do you use what three words?" And the dispatch center said yes, and they gave the three words, and that gave the exact positioning of where that person was. Now I don't know where the. Data comes from, but I'm looking as you guys were chatting. I was mm-hmm. looking it up. Well, what through your words is used by DHL, Parcel, Jaguar, Land Rover, Mercedes-Benz, uh, emergency services UK, uh, Spotify, Basic ArcGIS, Locator, all these 7-Eleven, uh, Boohoo. I don't know what Boohoo is, but on and on it goes. The mm-hmm. point is, is that there are versions of this. So now I'm kind of curious to see where they generated their information from on this. But there are applications out there for geo-navigation, geo-pinpointing things.
0: Well, the the basis of that was to get it narrowed down where someone – most people don't know verbally where their GPS location is. I mean, we all bring this up. But if you know that the three words, like for this, where we're sitting right here –
2: Gather became surgical.
0: Right. So you're having an emergency. That's all you would have to tell your – provided they have the service at your 911 center. Well, I'm getting
1: different three words in the getting? same spot. I'm getting caked, nipped, rips. So you may be in the next square.
3: And that's uh, essentially equivalent to a latitude we, we are, longitude.
1: We
0: are in a building. The latitude yeah. and yeah.
2: longitude. Or
1: also oh, elevation. Yeah. So these are really precise because now yeah. it's popping up snoring someone coffee, which sounds more like me, honestly.
0: <laughs> so, so if you think about your time of need, you're on the what are we on the third floor here? Uh, yes. Okay. So there's still not a vertical access. So eventually, that will eventually, you know, be added. That is part of the first net solution, and they're actually, you know, so you have the X and Y, which is your Latin long. And then they're going to come up with the z access, So eventually they'll probably build in a, a Z.
1: Well, and it that. even even says GPS accuracy within 35 minutes or 35 meters, 104 meters like it's. But if we had a crisis and I told that to law enforcement, like either one of those is close enough that they could find us.
2: It, then the the only bummer would be if if. They don't know what floor we're on. Right. I'm guessing if we went to two or one. We try and keep it around forty minutes. Uh this has been fascinating. I don't know if I was more interested in the PNT discussion or what it is to be locked in a container <laughs> uh and kind of where we went with all of that. But at the yeah. end of the day, Rob, you are now entering your fortieth. where are you in your career from
0: over over 40. Yeah. Forty well, yeah, 45 since high school, I was 17. So, yeah.
2: And, and what's, what's almost humbling to me is that I'm just touched 35 when I look back at, and I count my clock from when I started working at juvenile hall, when I graduated from college in 1986, I was four years behind you. Uh, and it's amazing the journey. And And I think that's kind of how I want to wrap today is this, for those that are listening, you know, you've now heard the story of Rob and the journey, it's in the journey, right? It started at, at as a junior high kid in 1969, listening, engaging with a couple of um, Coast Guard professionals in an investigation. And I know that for me, when, I, when I've had people come talk to me where I have given talks on what it is to be a police officer and be in service who followed me in the profession because of that. I mean, I can specifically think of a – you, uh UC Santa Barbara college student that I did a one time discussion and he eventually comes to Santa Barbara PD and says, do you remember speaking at? And so I, I guess what I want to say, and, and for you, Rob, I want to give you an opportunity for a moment and totally change gears. You're very invested in the next generation of leaders. You're very invested in students. What's that motivation for you?
0: Well, I think that some people call it retirement, but I called it a commencement. It's it's a new beginning. We change change jobs, we change locations, we change, and part of that is being current, relevant, useful, helpful, and purposeful. So in 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 searching current, for relevant, relevant, helpful, useful, and. Purposeful. And, and purposeful. And are those your words? Those are my words. Okay. Those are my words. And that's what I set out to say is what, what can I do to help the next generation own the future of, of critical infrastructure? And it's really giving them the tools, getting them the training, getting them the opportunities, because this next generation, they will own this. passion is, is really giving them those opportunities because I I look back and there are so many people that open doors for me. I think that we owe that to the next generation is really inspire them to follow what their purpose is because you could take a job you, you, I need the money, I want a house, I want this. but if you have a passion and a belief and and you you, you focus on that purpose, I think that you'll have a greater career. I have tried several different jobs early on. And um, public service has, it became a passion for me since 1998. And that was a mid-career change. I got out of the private sector, focused on on public service between Coast Guard and, and uh, Homeland Security, and now as a state employee here in Texas. It's really a, about, you know, preparing that next generation. I, and that's what I, I look forward to doing for the, you know, through some of the training that we're doing here.
2: I've truly enjoyed uh, working with you and collaborating, and I know I irritate you sometimes. <laughs> um, but the fact is, is that it's through uh, the struggle, through wrestling, through ideas, thoughts, concepts, and getting into the the nitty-gritty of things that we accomplish some good things. So with that, uh, thank yeah. you, Rob, for yep. being a guest on the program. Next episode, you're gonna get a int- going to get to introduce Nick Reese. We uh, I'm I'm it'll I'm looking forward to that episode. I already know because we just did it, but I'm not going to preview anything or ruin any of the uh, um, upcoming sound effects that I suspect will be incorporated into this. But, Rob, thank you for being here. Grant, thanks again uh, for co-hosting with me. Appreciate your inputs, Marcus. The man on the we didn't go to the man on the street today. You you interject a little bit.
1: Normally, I start with caller on line oh, three the man on the street. Didn't know where he was
3: because he didn't have a PNT backup. <laughs>
1: well, I do have one final note for you. Um, I have a movie recommendation for you. I haven't seen it. It's gotten very middling reviews, but it's called nowhere. It's about a woman who gets trapped in a shipping container and lost at sea. Oh, is that right? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So it might speak to your soul a little bit in a horrifying way. Yeah, I'm yes. <laughs> I,
0: I, I might have uh, nightmares now. <laughs> well, everybody's no, <laughs> awesome. That's all. And, and Mike, I, I will say in closing, thank you for the opportunity to to serve, you know, the, the university here and the institute. I think we it's a it's a great partnership. We got to keep keep, you know, moving ahead. We've we it, the work we're doing today is going to be even more important for the future. So, Grant we're all going to transfer this to you uh in in a few years and and uh but uh thanks again yeah.
3: thank you, Rob.
2: That's been great so uh on behalf of the team here uh the Sam Houston State University, the mass communications department, the criminal justice center uh, I appreciate that you guys have participated i uh, hopefully you have learned a few things and just remember here at i h s we are disruptive but helpful. Have a great day.
1: Structurally Sound is the podcast for the Institute for Homeland Security at Sam Houston State University. It is supported by the College of Criminal Justice and the Mass Communication Department. Our hosts are Michael Asplund, Grant Threet, and Marcus Funk, who also produces and edits the show. Our music was written by Kevin Clifton, and the artwork was created by the Idea Factory, part of the Department of Art at Sam Houston State. Additional support comes from Shannon Lane. Rose Cater, Charles Henson's, and enthusiastic Bearcats everywhere.